0: Okay, with the fourth pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select A.J. Green, wide receiver, Georgia. Or, or, Coach, maybe it's a tip that, hey, Carson, come on back. We really need to get you some help. I don't know about all that. I know this. This is... I think the best offensive player in the draft, Mel. We talked about Von Miller already. This guy, just a junior. I think he's a flanker, and I think there's a big difference between a split end and a flanker. He has very good body control, outstanding hands. He's an outstanding route runner. He has no fear over the middle. Areas of concern, they said, hey, John, what are your areas of concern? None. He's a great practice player. The guy has an unbelievable future ahead of him. Six foot four. He's two. 111 pounds, he catches the ball away from his body, he could be in a circus. To announce the Cincinnati Bengals selection, please welcome from the University of Southern California, the third overall pick in the 1980 draft by the Cincinnati Bengals Hall of Fame tackle Anthony Munoz. Good evening, With the 35th pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select Andy Dalton, quarterback, TCU. I like that pick, Chris. You know, I know that they were sleepless probably last night, hoping they could get a quarterback. And Andy Dalton, a four-year starter, 42 wins, Mel is going to be coming in there in Cincinnati with a chance to become an immediate starter. What I like what the Bengals did is they had a couple receivers that are tweeting and quatting it. Maybe they don't want to come back, so they take A.J. Green. Their quarterback might not want to come back. Take a quarterback and take a guy that you know can play. And the one thing I do know about this guy is he can make accurate throws and good decisions. And I think the more you give this kid, check with me, the more system football that you give him, the better he'll be. And he'll have to be because the Cincinnati Bengals are a work in process. They need to address their offensive line. They're in a tough division. You like those Baltimore Ravens, Mel, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Cleveland Browns are on the rise. You need a quarterback. I'm happy for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think this kid can run. He's got functional movement. He ran for over 1,600 yards this guy will give the Bengals a shot in the arm where they need it. John, what I like is the fact he improved in terms of accuracy and that completion percentage last three years went from 59% to 61% finished off at 66% this past year. The only concern is he's not 6'4", he's 6'2", and he does have that three-quarter delivery which results in some passes being batted down at something you will have to deal with in the NFL but to get a kid like this, you know about a kid who played five years, fifth year senior very rare to see a kid stay his entire career because he didn't have elite skills, but he's there. He's a kid. He gained 35 pounds, added to his frame during his career. Smart, intelligent football player. Cincinnati Bengals have their quarterback. Three observations: 42 and 7 record as a starter. Hello. He's got. Orange hair, the same color as that, the Bengals, which I think is a perfect fit. And maybe he can get Munoz to play tackle. He's
2: all set. Mort, what do you have? You're Top back. Right. Well, a general manager told me what, what, what was sealed the deal for him in terms of the level of competition was the Rose Bowl game against Wisconsin. He stood near Andy Dalton during the pregame. The crowd was 80% Wisconsin fans. They were yelling at him, profane in many ways. Calm as can be. Wisconsin looked like an NFL team. Wisconsin goes down and scores a field goal. Andy Dalton, two straight touchdowns. Calm as can be. He made it big time against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. And that game right there, I think, made a lot of coaches and GMs feel like this guy can play in this league. Boomer? It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your host, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you.
3: Hey there, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we continue with our March Mock Madness in April, in the spirit of March Madness having just ended. And also, there is a little bit of news. The Bengals players obviously reported to Paul Brown Stadium yesterday. It sounds like they did a first day install. Uh, Bengals.com also gives you a breakdown of the different phases of the offseason program. So currently, they're in phase one which means if the players do go on the field at any point in time, they're only allowed to be out there with strength and conditioning coaches. So no football work is happening on the field. All the football work is happening in player rooms, uh, in meeting rooms. It sounds like they are doing some early install. If you go read Tyler Eifert's quote on Bengals.com, it sounds like he's they, they have new formations they're learning. So that's interesting. Little yeah, the tidbit problem. there from Tyler Eifert. Probably getting just the jargon and the uh, new language translated for them. Yep, sounds like there's going to be some new language, or usually is when you have new coaches come in. And that's always been something that's been kind of weird to me. Like, why doesn't everyone just have, why is it their universal football language? That's a question I've had. I think because football
2: can be different from different levels to different areas of the regions of the country. Yeah. And, and you'll see it even on on Twitter if you're discussing with someone, they'll be like, oh, that's a uh, flag route. And you're like, no, it's a seven route. And then, you know, so what's the difference? Nothing really. That's the same thing. But we, you know, it just depends on where, when you were taught at 10 years old versus when he was taught at 10. And it just sticks with you for the rest of your life. And, and I think it just evolved from there.
3: Yeah. Anyway, the players that were interviewed, the point here is that they they all seem pretty impressed with Zach Taylor, which is nice to hear. And they're going to say that, I think obviously, but they seem excited. And I'm choosing to buy in the same way I chose to buy in when Zach Taylor was hired and talked about a good culture and you know, accountability and positivity. I'm choosing to buy in right now.
2: AJ Green seemed excited uh talking about having an offensive-minded head coach. So, that's what I wanted to hear.
3: Yeah, and and Andy Dalton's quote when he's, you know, They didn't expect us to win any games, a single game, when I was here my first year in 2011. Then that was the end of the interview with Cat Terrell. I thought that was a nice little mic drop moment. Our swagged out quarterback. Franchise It's about us. It's about us. Let's do it. Uh, You said that there are some Bengals players, some veterans, that have some numbers assigned, some free agent signings.
2: New players. I always check this when uh, camp opens up, whether that's just reporting for workouts or when veterans will... All the veterans will show up for mandatory stuff. You'll see some number changes for, for guys that have been here, for, especially guys going into their year, too. But the free agent addition signings all got their numbers issued to them. B.W. Webb will ne- wear number 24. John Miller at right guard will wear number 67. And Kerry Wynn on the defensive line will wear 72, which is what he wore for the New York Giants. So all good numbers. All look like fast, strong, good football player numbers.
3: Good, fast, strong football player numbers. You heard exactly. it here first on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I know that's what you guys tune in for for the deep hitting analysis. Of this is very NFL important. Jay. Don't make jokes. I'm not making jokes. You can't. Do I be sound a like I'm making jokes? Wearing
2: 49. Okay, you can't. No, that'd be ridiculous. Right. Exactly. Did you see uh, Tremaine Edmonds for the Bills wearing 49 as a linebacker? I think it's I, ugly. I I like 40s on linebackers actually. Malik Jefferson's got 45. How'd that work out his rookie year? Well, he didn't play. Who knows? If he wore 55 or fifty, he, he still wouldn't have played. He, no, he would have dominated. <laughs> 100%. No doubt in my mind. Doesn't
3: Miles Jack wear 44? 44 looks great. Looks you, can have, you can have nice 44. But when I said I like 40s on linebacks, I was thinking specifically of Miles Jack.
2: That's fine. 44 is a very nice number.
3: 44 is a nice number. Uh, what else happened today? Alex Redmond signed his exclusive rights free agent deal uh officially he'll be back uh for another year now ostensibly to back up uh right guard i think predominantly i think christian westerman will probably go into the go into the seasons backing up at left guard yeah it's weird to have a like a fixed backup at a backup offensive line
2: spot, you know? Like, this guy is a backup right guard. This guy's a backup left guard. We only like Westerman at left guard. Although, I would say Redmond, remember he played left guard when uh, those yeah. final two weeks, uh, when him and With, Westerman, when Westerman were splitting. Was, yeah, Exactly. So, he's got that versatility, which makes me concerned for Westerman's longevity.
3: Well, it's both of them, right? I mean, sure. I'd, I'd say in terms of contracts and in terms of where they are on the roster, they're, you know, in the bottom 40 of the roster, right? Right. That, that sure. didn't make sense but you know 40 or higher in terms of so they're both they're both potentially camp cuts you know they're both fighting for their spot on the team and best of luck to them both and I hope you know they ball out and become the best players they can be but realistically they're both fighting for roster spots and and one guy
2: is under contract or was under contract so it was no decision to be made and one guy they while he was exclusive they did offer him obviously and Alex Redman signed so I do wonder if you know, had both guys been a free agent, would there have been a decision to make? Or is this just, hey, a cheap guy that we know that can play? We, it's a no-brainer to keep him, which in my mind it is.
3: Well, it's, uh, they, they tendered all their exclusive rights guys. Yeah. I right. feel like NFL teams almost always ex- tender all their exclusive rights guys because they are cheap and they know those guys for the most part. Uh, and Westerman, when he becomes a free agent, he'll be unrestricted. That's
2: right. I know. I just mean if they were in a similar situation, would they have chosen one or the other?
3: Who knows? I, I,
2: I get paranoid in my own head for why they hadn't yeah, I played can, Westerman. I can see that. <laughs> and then and then not only do they add a guard in free agency, they re-sign Alex Redmond, and then they, they give Trey Hopkins a decent contract. I'm just like, oh, that's not enough spots for our, our savior. Trey Hopkins is backing
3: up everywhere though. Yes. I think Even tackle I, right now. Uh correct. Yes. Well I would not doubt it, right? No, yeah, I I, I'm, I said correct. I agree with you. Okay. Um Let's see. Before we get into today's matchups for Mock Madness, PFF Mike, Mike Renner, who is famous for being that guy from Pro Football Focus who went on The Bachelor and finished 15th. Is, is That's that a, what he's
2: famous for? Well.
3: He finished 15 out of how many? I don't know. I don't watch The Bachelor. How many people go oh. on The Bachelor? I, I don't know. I do I was uh, going to say I think a lot, but how many make it out of the first night and then first week? I don't know. I don't know. I took this important stat from a Pro Football Focus graphic.
2: Ah, uh, I was going to say many he's more famous
3: for his hair. He has great hair, long, luscious, golden hair, and he can dunk a basketball. He looks like he could have been, you know, one of the one of the Clay Matthews, uh, AJ yep. Hawk guys at USC. You know what episode I did watch
2: of The Bachelor while he was on there? No, when they played flag football
3: okay you should watch it he scores a touchdown i'm sure he's probably one of the better i mean yeah he's he's an athletic guy but there's a former nfl player out there too okay anyway he has a great series of tweets today not about hair not about the bachelor but about offensive tackles and this is probably more interesting to you a couple weeks ago before they re-signed bobby hart and we decided yeah they're probably not going to draft a tackle but Pro Football Focus has a bunch of the top tackle prospects broken down by the number of true pass sets taken in their careers. And they define a true pass set as a pass blocking repetition where there are four or more pass rushers, a QB drop to seven plus yards, no play action, not a screen, and it's over two seconds for a QB to throw. So this really isolates plays where they actually have to do a straight pass block. There's no deception involved. And it's a, a traditional drop and, a, and a, not a catch-and-release kind of play. So not quick sets, um, right. actual pass-blocking repetitions. And the top five guys that they have highlighted here, and this is for their careers, Andre Dillard, 966 true pass sets in his career. And he had thousands and thousands of snaps in his career. Yep. And most of them were pass-blocking snaps in the system he was in. Jonah Williams at Alabama, 459. Uh, offensive tackle, true pass blocking sets, Dalton Reisner, 418, Juwan Taylor, 404, Cody Ford, 99, all of those coming last year. And then in those snaps, we have the grades for each of them in those repetitions. So Andre Dillard, who had the most snaps, grades out at about an 88 in their pass blocking grades, which is very, very good. Jonah Williams is at an 80, still good. Dalton Reisner at a 91.6, which is elite, but the caveat there that the PFF guys have been giving when talking about Dalton Reisner is that the quality of pass rusher in the Big 12 was very low compared to some of the other conferences. So he he kicked everyone's ass in front of him, but it wasn't anybody tough. He kind of did what you would expect him to do. And this isn't a knock on Dalton Reisner. If he had performed poorly against Big Big 12 pass rushers, that would be a problem. Performing at an elite level against Big 12 pass rushers can't be seen as a negative, but it's still important to understand the context around it, right? Yeah. Jawan Taylor next on the list, 64.4, but the caveat there is, not not good, that's right, but the caveat there is in his 97 true pass blocking sets as a senior, that went up to about a 75. So he did take a step his senior year, he got better. And you can hang your hat on that if you like. Cody Ford, 99, all in his senior year, which is actually two more true pass blocking sets than Jawan Taylor had his senior year, 75. So they they end up, despite our questions about Cody Ford in terms of athleticism, in terms of all of his size and whether he should maybe be an interior lineman, essentially identical pass blocking reps and grades in those true, true pass block sets, according to PFF. Yeah, and so what I'm taking from this is the guys who have the most
2: experience in a true pass set typically perform better, and I would expect that. I mean, why wouldn't you if you have a guy that can hold up in pass protection number one, but also the more he does it, the better he should get. So it makes sense that Andre Dillard, man, we've talked about him. When we ranked our offensive tackles. I had Dillard and, and Reisner. Reisner one, Dillard two, and it's because of the pass sets. And and when you, when I watched him on film, I thought these guys are showing me more of what I want. It's like watching a quarterback that throws a screen – one out of every three passes, right? And you're like, well, that, I just got to throw that play away. That's not part of the evaluation. So when you see these quick passes or quick sets, they're not going to get beat off. And so when you see actually these true pass sets, it gets you excited. And when you watch Dillard or, or Reisner or even Jonah Williams, uh, you see it much more often. So I do appreciate the stat a lot. I like it. I think it it shows that many people believe Dillard is the best pass protector in this draft, and it so shows he's also the most experienced. So you can plug and play him right now, and he'd probably give you good pass protection as a rookie. I yeah. think the question, though, for me is that Cody Ford, with just 99 of these in his career,
1: mm-hmm.
2: that means you may he may be good at it. He may be as good as Juwan Taylor right away at it, but he has way less experience, so he's going to have some catching up to do in terms of probably technical refinement. I think any old, old line guy that watched them would agree.
3: The other side of that is he has probably more room to grow. but yep. Maybe not probably, but potentially, because Jawan Taylor had several years of playing in these true pass sets and was never as good as Cody Ford in his one year. So limited right. sample size stuff, uh, technical stuff, all the, and also a big 12 caveat for Cody Ford too, right? But maybe so. we shouldn't compare Taylor
2: and Ford. Maybe we should compare Taylor with Reisner and, and Jonah. Yeah. They all had 400 yeah. and something true pass sets, and well, they weren't close in grading.
3: I was going to say, don't compare Ford to Taylor because of conference differences. Because if you're, to, if you're going to give that caveat for Dalton Reisner's grade in the Big 12, you have to do it for Oklahoma, too. Right. I hear you. Um, a couple other guys that were requested that we have this information on as well. And this is just for 2018. Actually, we'll do just 2018 grades in these pass blocking sets for all of the guys we just talked about. So Andre Dillard, 89.5. Really good. Jonah Williams, 82.5. Really good. Dalton Riser essentially ninety two, and then Ford and and Taylor we talked about about seventy five each. A couple other guys that we have for Justice last season too, their senior years. Yannick Just one hundred eighteen snaps graded out at seventy four, so right in that Jawan Taylor Cody Ford territory actually. Caleb hmm. uh, McGarry two hundred eleven snaps seventy six point six, so you know a little bit better, but. In terms of translating PFF to professional out- outlooks, I think that seventy-six for all intents and purposes is essentially the same as the seventy-four. Mm-hmm. And finally, Greg Little at one hundred and thirty-two snaps, uh, which is a fair number. It's about an average number, I would say, eighty-three point two. So pretty good. Uh, better yeah. than Jonah Williams, actually.
2: Yeah, I like the Greg Little that he got his uh, eighty-three grade there, and, and especially with one hundred and thirty-two. Snaps, if you correlate that over three years or so, you're you going to be in the range with the, those other guys that uh, all played 400, so, uh, or, we saw 400 or, or so true pass-blocking snaps. So that's good for Greg Little. That's I, I, Like I said, I've, I've liked him on tape. I think if the value meets where he tested and how he looked at the combine and he's there in the third round or so, I, I would love the opportunity to get Greg Little.
3: I just think it's some really interesting data. The, other, the last thing I'll say on this topic before we move on to our matchups for the day is Andre Dillard. One of the common knocks against him was in that offense, he wasn't asked to hold a pass block for more than a half a second. And the great thing about these numbers is this is isolating those longer pass blocking reps. So this is, if anyone said Andre Dillard, you know, he can't do it for more than the quick set, or he had a lot of quick sets in his game. This, this tells you that, Hey, he can do it.
2: Yeah, and you got to think in that offense too. They were they were passing the ball almost every play at uh, Washington State. So in his, in his career, he had thirty two hundred, almost thirty three hundred total snaps. So if you want to say a thousand of them were true pass sets, that's still a, uh, I wonder if that's a low clip in comparison to others, but it's still a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice sample size.
3: We can figure that out pretty quick. We could, yeah. We have Damian we have Dal- snaps here for some of these other guys. Dalton Riser had thirty two hundred seventy eight snaps and only four hundred true pass walking reps.
2: Yeah, in four years as a starter, where Dillard was three year starter. Yeah, and then Jonah Williams here with twenty seven hundred snaps. So yeah,
3: but it is a uh,
2: it's a good clip for Jonah actually.
3: Yeah, I think it's well. I, I think I think Andre Dillard probably had the highest. I don't I don't know how much this matters though. So. I don't know either. I just, it's a good sample size is all I care about. Yeah, I think this is, this is what I love about PFF actually is there's all this data that comes out and some of it you can look at and say right away, you're like, yeah, that probably is meaningful. You've isolated something. Mike, in this analysis, isolated something that I believe is meaningful and tells us something at a greater granular, granular level that here are some guys that are able to actually perform in true pass blocking situations. It tells us more than a grade. It's a good way to pull out the data. But what I like about PFF is they have so much data available to them, and we're all still figuring out how to use it.
2: Yeah, and you know what? This is why I like this so much is because this is something I internally have allowed to develop my opinion on the Bengals offensive line for a long time now. They've been a team that's a quick-passing team that will give extra blockers to their I would say before it was uh, when when it was Jay Gruden and and Hugh Jackson, they'd give extra blockers and extra pass protection. So it was a much easier task for their offensive line to hold up in pass protection. They probably agreed and went a step too far and allowed their two best offensive linemen to walk. But point being is I wonder what the Rams are. I'd have to, I'd love to have this information for the Rams the last couple of years to see how often they put their offensive line. Because if you don't have to, and you can get good, what I mean is if you don't have to put your guys in a position where they've got to hold up for more than two seconds on an island by their, by themselves with a seven-yard drop for a quarterback and you can still get good pass pr- protection and, and quarterback play, then great. You don't need to expose those guys. But if you, you that's why I want to see if the Rams, uh, did they do it? Did they hide their offensive linemen more? Yeah. If that's the case, that would excite me a little bit because I would uh, think if they, they brought the same thing to Cincinnati, you could help out Cordy Glenn and Bobby Hart a lot.
3: Yeah, we'll have to talk to Mike about that at some point in the future. Maybe we can get him on. Yeah, that'd be fun. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and give you our poll questions of the day to continue mock madness, a couple of offensive linemen, a couple of edge rushers. Stay tuned.
2: Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals podcast. In our second half of the episode today, we're going to continue our Mock Madness bracket tournament to find out who we want the Bengals to pick with the 11th overall selection in the 2019 NFL Draft. And we started yesterday on the Locked On Twitter account, putting up the first two matchups of this bracket, and it was between Ed Oliver and Christian Wilkins, both defensive tackles. And... I've got to say it's it's a landslide at 96%. There's a couple hours left to vote on it. So if you haven't yet, please go ahead and do that. And TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant was the other battle at tight end, both Iowa tight ends. Hawkinson's leading that 80 to 20. I'm surprised both of these are, are such a big discrepancy, Jake.
3: I am too. I think it's it makes sense to me that the tight end one is closer. But the way we've talked about these guys on the podcast, if it's anybody that listens to us, I, I can yeah. understand why why the votes are the way they are. Because realistically, nobody should – or very few people would actually have Christian Wilkins above Ed Oliver on their board. So I get it. But I think that the difference between those two players is much closer than 92% or whatever the difference is. 96-4 right now. Yeah, 96-4. I think Christian Wilkins – and I said this yesterday – has a very similar career trajectory to Ed Oliver. He just doesn't have the athleticism. He has the production. He has great size, and that's something that Ed Oliver lacks in the eyes of NFL teams. He has positional versatility, I think, in a way that Ed Oliver won't at the next level in terms of, I think, Ed Oliver is almost exclusively a three-tech. And there's nothing wrong with that. Three-tech is very important. But you can put Christian uh, Christian Wilkins anywhere along your interior defensive line, I think, and he's gonna, he's going to be able to produce. And like we said yesterday too, he also was extremely productive
2: uh, based on PFF's run stop and pass rush. I think number two in both. So, I mean, and we're not talking about he's when, when you said earlier he's not at Oliver type athlete. Well, yeah, no one is really right. So, I think in a better or on more normalized defensive tackle class, we talk about Christian Wilkins much much more, and it's because Quentin Williams is a freak. Ed Oliver is an athletic phenomenon and then it should have been jeffrey simmons is number three so we kind of created this gap early on in the process and then christian wilkins when really there isn't a gap there but someone even asked uh, on the poll question is this even a serious question well I, i this is what i expected the vote to turn out like but this is a one seed versus a 16 seed this is how it was going to happen all along i just
3: didn't expect it to be so slanted i'm not i'm not too surprised by it because when it is you know It's just, which would you rather have? It's not like, how much would you like, you know, if you you could give Christian Wilkins a 5 out of 10 and Ed Oliver a 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 or whatever, then it looks closer, but it's just a coin flip. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, that was interesting to me too. I I thought more people would like Noah Fant's athleticism and like just raw athleticism. You talk about an athlete, they're both good athletes, but Noah Fant's on a different level.
2: One comment on Twitter from Jackson, I, at Jackson Tyler. He said, is Fant more of a freak athlete? Then that's what I want. And so I thought more people would would see it that way also. Give me the freak guy that could just dominate and, and go with the upside. And that's not to say that. Again, this is this is a comparison. This is Ed Oliver and Christian Wilkins at tight end in terms of athleticism, right? Fant a yeah, freak. One, one, one of a century type kind of tight end. And then TJ Hawkinson is a very good athlete and good in his own right, but... He's just not Noah fan, But, again, we've discussed the reasons why we both, I think, like Hawkinson more. And I was watching uh, uh, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay's mock draft that they did on ESPN. You know, they normally take an hour out and they'll they'll have an episode. But I was watching that and they had Hawkinson, or I think it was McShay had Hawkinson going number eight to the Detroit Lions. Sure. I could see it. Yep, for sure. So our our next two matchups for today, we're going to have, we're going to stay on the left side there. There's mostly... Defense in, in, in our first round matchups, and the first one is Kentucky's Josh Allen. Most of you know him. We, he came in for a visit with the Bengals versus a guy I think is very similar. Guy we've talked about, but really uh, I think we took him this week in mock draft Monday. We did. Yeah, Florida State's Brian Burns. So we got two edge rushers, really guys that could be stand-up, outside linebackers in a 3-4, or or put their hand down in nickel and rush. I think either way, they're edge guys, and they can move well enough that you can have that position versatility between them. Uh, For me, this is much closer than I think the NFL is going to view it. I still think Josh Allen
3: goes top six, and I think Burns probably goes top 15. Brian Burns is an all-time athlete at the edge rusher position. 9.9 RAS. That's that's percent all athlete, right? And yep, exactly. Josh Allen's still a good athlete. This is another one of those sure. freak athlete, elite athlete kind of compare, or freak athlete, good athlete at the very least. Both of them had outstanding production. Where, yep. where do you split the hair? Is it Brian yeah. Burns' size? Is Well, it, I, is I wouldn't it? say
2: that because uh, Burns is, is 6'5", 250, where Allen is just
3: under 6'5", 260. Do you trust either of them to put their hand on the ground? Uh, in a 4-3. You know, I when I, someone asked me this earlier
2: when the Bengals were bringing in Josh Allen for a visit. They said, well, is he a defensive end or isn't he an outside linebacker for them? And I thought, he's an edge guy. And what does that mean? That means he's, yeah, maybe he has his hand up In early downs, and he's more of an outside linebacker the way Von Miller is, and Von Miller never puts his hand down. So I'll I'll explain again. We did this before when we talked about a position or scheme switch on on defense. But Miller is a stand-up linebacker by all intents and purposes. But his role is that of a defensive end. And hit, who he has to take, the gap he has to defend, uh, who, he's, who he's, he takes on and blocks in, in the run game, he has the role of a defensive end. And I think that's what I would do with Josh Allen, and I think I'd do that with Brian Burns also. But so really, they would be my edge guy on whatever side I, I they felt more comfortable on, and I, you know, designed my defense around them because they would be. If you took them with the eleventh overall pick, have they had a higher? Is there a higher drafted player on defense? No, there isn't, right? What do you mean? For the Bengals, I'm trying to think who the highest drafted defender is on the Bengals. Corner. Yeah, is it Drake Kirkpatrick? I'm just now thinking of this, and because and I was thinking, if you draft a guy at 11
3: on defense, he is your now going forward your defensive centerpiece, right? Yeah, there's nobody. They they have like no first round. They have late first round. They have no early first round picks on the defense. Yeah. Yeah, so they, right, they drafted so, at least. I I can't think about maybe maybe they have some veterans, but I don't even think they do anymore. No, right? They they don't have anyone like that.
2: So if you took an Allen or a Burns at eleven, and you say, well, he's kind of a three-four outside linebacker type or a three-three-five, whatever you want to call it, yeah, your defense is going to change now because this is your centerpiece. If it's not year one, it may be year two. But the point is, you are drafting him to put him in the best position to succeed. And I, I want to touch on production too because it seems like Allen was more productive. He had. Uh, 42 tackles for a loss, 31 and a half sacks while at Kentucky, while Brian Burns had 38 and a half tackles for a loss. So 42 versus 38 and 23 sacks versus basically 32 sacks. So Allen does edge him out a little bit. I think he, he played also more than Brian Burns. When you look at Geometric's uh, difference in production, if you average. Tackle market share, tackle for a loss in sacks, you get a 96.2 for Josh Allen. When you do the same for Brian Burns, you get an 86.7. So really elite, all pro level production for Josh Allen, pro bowl level production for Brian Burns.
3: Yeah. And Josh Allen also just looking at the pro football focus data, second in pass rush productivity for edge players in the class, 28th in run stop percentage uh, in the class. And you compare that to Burns, 24th pass rush productivity in the class. 105th for run stop percentage so the big difference there I think I think they're probably pretty comparable pass rushers at the next level because of how refined Brian Burns game is and how much agility he has in his in in terms of in terms of flexibility ability to turn the corner and he has really good hands at the college level Josh Allen more productive but the big difference there is run stop percentage where Brian Burns didn't contribute nearly as much well, he was listed at 235 pounds for
2: most of his college career, and he showed up at the combine at 250. I think it may, may have been 249 or 251, but either way. Uh, so he put on weight and still tests really well, so he can he can hold it. But if he was 235 and playing like that for much of his career, that is, that's light, and you're going to get run over in the run game. So that's definitely an area of concern going forward and probably why the NFL views them differently. For me, when I look at college players, and their intensity in defending the run. It could be a, even a corner. Uh, people may say uh, tackling, we're not talking about corners this, this year because we really haven't had to, but when you look at tackle share for corners, it's a really big predictive stat for the, for their success in the NFL. And you'd be like, why? Corners don't need to tackle. It's their involvement in getting in on the play and wanting to play every single snap and having that determination and that mindset that allows them to have success at the next level is my opinion on that. And I think you can see the very same for edge guys. When they don't have a high tackle, Share it's probably because they're not getting involved in the game enough.
3: The other thing to consider for both players here is they both took pretty substantial leaps from junior to senior year. Although Burns, I think, is coming out as a junior. Yeah, yeah. So from from sophomore to junior year for Burns, from junior to senior year for Allen, gigantic leaps in PFF grading and production.
2: Yeah, and I remember Allen uh, a year ago, and he, he he was projected. This guy could be a top ten pick, right? Uh, he really transformed his body, his game. He brought it to another level. And they said the work he put in thinking, I could be, yeah, they're projecting me there, but I need to make sure I'm that and maybe beyond. Uh, so I've really been impressed with the way he played this past year. Josh Allen is is a guy that was really fun to watch. One of the few defensive guys that when, when that team's on, you're like, I'm going to keep my eye on, on him. So I I think this is going to go one way, uh, and it's going to go in, in Josh Allen's direction this game, this matchup here. But I do think this is a little bit closer than uh, may have been originally when we were thinking of the draft.
3: Yeah, the other thing to consider is if if you're voting out there, if you're voting about who's going to be there, well, Josh Allen, I think, is less likely to be there. I'm not saying that should impact your vote, but maybe it does. And then uh,
2: I, you know, I haven't decided on how this is going to work because, like, if if Josh Allen wins this whole thing, that means yeah, we want Josh Allen at eleven. Well, who doesn't? If I if yeah. Ed Oliver wins it, then it's like yeah, Ed Oliver. Who doesn't? But I, I'm gonna look at it like if, pull it up on draft day, and if as soon as Allen's gone, as soon as Oliver's gone, if the you next see who the best next guy guys are, yeah. exactly right, if it's White and then and then Bush, and you know, so it should not make sense as it goes that way. We can kind of check it off as we go. we'll, uh, have, so, your,
3: we'll have your power rankings of who you exactly. want the Bengals to pick. At least exactly. in some, we, we don't know who you want between Christian Wilkins and Noah Fant, but you know, what, what, what can you do? We can't can do all like the matchups. An, an NIT tournament kind of after like, if you lose right, you decide,
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll move on. Next bracket, next, or next uh, matchup in the, in the bracket is two offensive tackles. Now I had them ranked, I want to say third and fourth on my, on my top five offensive tackle prospects. It is going to be Jonah Williams of Alabama versus Jawan
3: Taylor of Florida. And these are both guys that are talked about to be some of the best offensive line prospects in the draft, depending on who you ask. I think before the combine, Jonah Williams was a consensus by most anyway. I guess there were, still, there were, there were some people who liked Juwan Taylor more, but most liked Jonah Williams to be the best offensive tackle in the class. And then he went to the combine, didn't have a great combine. Tested out as a good, uh, an average athlete. Yeah, barely above average, right? Fifty-five point eight five, I think it is. Fifty-eight point five, and five point eight five. Yeah, and his his arm length was just a hair over thirty-three and a half inch arms, which a lot of teams, Bengals included, yep. like guys to have the arms. What is it, thirty thirty-four plus thirty-four they point do. something plus? So. Yep. They like the longer arms, and you wonder what's half an inch difference in arms going to do. Well, it's a it's a big difference to NFL teams. Uh, looking at their PFF data, Jonah Williams graded out a little bit better than Jawan Taylor in terms of pass blocking and run blocking in 2018. So, there there are reasons to like both guys. Jawan Taylor. Has the size. He he has yeah. essentially prototypical, maybe a little bit light, but prototypical size for a right tackle or a left tackle, really. 35-plus-inch arms, 6'5", 3'12". Jonah Williams, 6'4", 302", a little bit lighter, a little bit shorter. 33.625-inch arms, so a little bit shorter arms. And Jawan Taylor did not test. So That's a that is pack. a
2: big... Yeah, we don't have athletic information on Taylor. Now I think if Taylor would have would have dominated this portion of the, of the pre-draft process. I think he'd be a slam dunk top 10 pick. I think he's still of the two guys still getting mocked into the top 10. And in my opinion, he looks like a power right tackle with a big body, typical type of offensive lineman that the Bengals typically like. I mean, if he ends up being Willie Anderson out there, that's who he looks like. I mean, he's tall, he's, he's long, he's strong and he's nasty. And this past year, he looked really good. He took another step this final year at Florida and and really why we're talking about him. The interesting thing to me is when you talked about the arm length, uh, you know, it was right at the combine, right? When when teams are really getting a free agency plan and uh, these guys are weighing in and, and here's a guy like Andre Dillard and Jonah Williams, both at 33 and a half about. And all of a sudden Ben was like, you know what, screw it, we're signing Bobby Hart. <laughs> because Juwan Taylor maybe is the one guy who's still getting projected top 10 that won't be there. If they're looking at the rest of this, they may say, Reisner's a guard and Cody Ford's a guard and they may say well the uh the other two tackles aren't high on our list especially when they we consider their short arms because they've been pretty strict on that based on their draft history and I wonder if they said uh you know that's it we're not getting a guy at 11 and and we'll move on with the veteran we have
3: that might certainly be the case Jawan Taylor does have a strong profile when you look at Pro Football Focus's stats. They're, they they track how often a guy gives up pressure, how often he has a successful run blocking snap, how often he gives up interior pressure, how often he gives up pressure around him to the outside, and how often he gives up pressure to the bull rush. Javon Taylor was in the top 25 of draft eligible prospects for all of those rankings, whereas Jonah Williams was only up there for pass blocking efficiency and giving up outside pressure. So Jonah Williams, according to this this data set, had a lower percentage of run blocking per, uh, run blocking success and oh, really? had some issues with the bull rush compared to the rest of this draft class. And the bull rush stuff you're talking about a guy that gives up pressure on a bull rush 0.5 percent of the time versus three percent of the time. Most of these right. tackles at the college level aren't giving up pressure to a bull rush. So-
2: that's when I mean, that's when uh, Williams will lose though. Is that yeah. long arm gets in there that post arm and it just. It'll just drive him backwards, and you saw a little bit with against Cleveland Farrell in the uh, the championship game.
3: Yeah, that's true, and, and that's one big knock I think against Jonah Williams is he had major issues with Cleveland Farrell in that game.
2: Yeah, and one thing though, I did, I love Jonah Williams in the run game. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder. He will bury guys and keep moving and keep grinding until he he gets his guy out of the play. Uh, I just think you know when you've got the weight and the length that Jawan Taylor does, it allows you to to continue to be that type of guy in the nfl whereas uh jonah williams may have to be a little bit of a different type of player having said that both guys have played a lot in their careers uh juan taylor and jonah williams basically three-year starters 2700 snaps
3: for jonah williams 2300 snaps for juan taylor yeah so you could be pretty happy with either of these guys i think i think this might be the closest one we have sometime. i think so
2: yeah, I think because that,
3: even 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 us looking at it, it's like, oh, you're kind of splitting hairs in a lot of ways. Yep. Yeah, I wish we had the athletic profile on Juan Taylor. Yep. If we did,
2: even if it was average, I think I'd feel much better uh, about him and, and selecting him. But at the same time, it's hard to come off of Jonah and how I felt about him before all of this measurement took place I, on tape. I thought Jonah was a very very good tackle, even though he yep. was probably going to come away as as an average athlete with average size. He's one of those guys you turn on the tape and you say he can play and he'll continue to play. And he's got a chip on his shoulder that won't drag him down. Uh, so, yeah, I like both guys. Honestly, if the if the pick comes and it's either one of these two, it's probably because the Bengals felt they were the best player available. And we've been in scenarios where we've had to discuss both of these guys because, you know, Devin Bush and Devin White both go in the top ten. Or, uh, you know, TJ Hawkinson goes in the top ten. and we're, Or Ed Oliver goes in the top five and we're left – Deciding between the next tier of players, and that's when I think the Bengals get into a situation where offensive tackle is the best player
3: available. And that's probably if they're not considering quarterback, right? Because if Devin Bush, Devin White, T.J. Hawkinson, and Ed Oliver are both gone before them, so so is Bosa and Quinnen. Bosa, Quinnen Williams, Kyler Murray. So that's yeah. what eight guys. Probably, probably Josh Allen. Right. So. Thanks. Then then you probably have a quarterback there, right? So um I don't know. I, I think I think it's still, we I think we both agree that it's still fairly unlikely that it's an offensive tackle in the first round. And and then you have to wonder, is that even correct to do at eleven, looking at the depth? That that actually looks a lot better, I think, than than we thought it was initially, with guys like Max Sharping, Caleb McGarry, Greg yep. Little, could just even Uh, looking at looking at some of his data that we talked about early in the show Chuma Doga looking at some of these guys yeah in in the mid rounds or second or third round and
2: I'm still excited to see uh, Titus Howard and see how he grades out for PFF which I'll lean on them a lot because we don't have a lot of tape for those D2 guys and we'll need a I definitely need to see what what their evaluation says
3: and as a matter of fact we do have that information in pro football Focus's draft guide 2.0 or 3.0 I'm not sure what version it is but it's something outside the first Titus Howard graded pretty well uh 87.8 as a pass blocker pass blocker 75.5 as a run blocker only had 774 snaps over 4 years 659 uh in his 2018 season 24th in pass blocking efficiency 14th in run blocking success never gave up a pressure to a bull rush uh pretty middle of the pack I'd say for giving up inside outside pressure so there you go
2: makes sense to me
3: uh had penalties yeah. nine penalties on 659 <laughs> snaps this past year or that's uh throughout his career in in 2018 he only had 774 career snaps according what to what I i'm looking at here yeah he was a
2: former tight end uh athletic guy and moved there so yeah that's interesting to know that he was penalized i think some of that will definitely be technique he needs to use his hands much better
3: so there you go on Titus Howard, another guy that the Bengals visited with might be a mid to early mid prospect potentially, and those are going to be our matchups for today. So go vote on Josh Allen or Brian Burns, right? Or Jonah who are you Williams. voting for on that? Um,
2: so I know you like here, Brian
3: Burns? I, I do, but I I think I like Josh Allen better. The thing I is, wish they weren't going against each other. <laughs> The thing is, I don't think Josh Allen's going to be there, right? That's and and I think that that's going to play in to to my choice a little bit. I think for all the other guys we've talked about, there's a fairly realistic chance that they'll be there. And Ed Oliver might be gone at five. That that could certainly happen. But I think I think it's more likely that Josh Allen goes at the top in the top five or six, like we talked about earlier, just because he has crazy production as a senior. And tested pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, he's meeting with the uh, Tampa Bay
2: Buccaneers today, I believe, if you're listening to this on Wednesday night.
3: It was he he's he's met with all the top teams, right? And the Bengals yeah. are the floor of the teams he's met with. So some Bengals fans immediately asked where they're gonna trade up and then that's where the Duke Tobin stuff we talked about yesterday came in. I don't think they're gonna trade ah. up for anybody outside of the outside of a quarterback. You know,
2: if you were to tell me one of these guys end up being Khalil Mag, Von Miller. Would you trade up? Would it be worth it then?
3: Would it? I, I'm. How far do I have to go up? I know that's the question, right? Because if you go, do I out... miss on a quarterback. Although, like you look you at what Camille, you look at what Khalil Mack did for the Bears last year, and I know he he kind of made that team. It'll and Bob Miller's had years like that in Denver, so.
2: So yep. our next our next battle is between Jonah Williams and Juwan Taylor. So vote on that also. I think this one's gonna be much closer. It's, I think it's a pick your poison. Do you trust the size? Do you trust uh the a ex- little bit more longer, better tape in Jonah Williams and without the testing for Juwan Taylor? But you have just average testing for Jonah Williams. So it's an interesting battle between those two. If you had to split hairs there, who do you take? I'm still taking Jonah. Uh but it's and it's mostly because I have an incomplete data set on Jawan Taylor. If I had that information, even if I thought he was a below-average athlete with the with that information, I'd feel much co- more comfortable.
3: Yeah, that's fair. Uh wh- What tackle do you think would be there in the second round that you would prefer over either of these guys in the first mm-hmm. round?
2: So we're we're t- we're taking in value here now, yeah. right? So we're considering. Man, I, that I would take over these guys. Wow, I think that's tough because I, I like the value much more in round three at tackle. We've done the mock draft simulations in round two, man. You just mm-hmm. don't end up one. Now you're going to tell me Dalton Reisner's still there because we've seen that. It
3: has been mocked. I don't expect it.
2: I wouldn't be surprised well, if Reisner went nine or ten.
3: What about – what about? Uh, do, you, do you have Kajus as a third-round guy?
2: Yeah, he's and I he'd be behind some what, of these guys.
3: What about Greg Little?
2: Yeah, I'd – i consider Greg Little in the second, but I just don't think it'd be a good bet to take. I, I, I know there'll about be better players is... there. Yeah, and okay. the way he showed up at the Combine, it's not a good look. You know, yeah. that typically isn't a good look for those guys.
3: Okay. Well, there you have it. Take a look for those polls. Give us your answers. We'll move on to the next round next week. We'll have a couple more matchups tomorrow. And also tomorrow, as always, it's going to be time to record the weekend mailbag. So we will solicit your questions and... get through them and give you some answers i can't wait we never can it's the best maybe we should do it multiple times a week if you guys think you can get us questions multiple times a week let us know and maybe we'll maybe we'll think about doing a mini mailbag tuesday or something like that yeah it's the less stressful podcast we record all week but yet it gets the most hits every week
2: too so you guys are listening to them you like them If you want more, we can do more. That'd be great for us. That'd be a a, a no-stress Wednesday. We're going to take more mailbag questions, you know?
3: Get over the hump day, you know? Exactly. Especially after the draft, because after the draft, there's going to be a lot less for us to talk about. You know the NFL season gets quiet around then. Anyway, that'll do it for us here at the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. Hope you have a good one, Bengals fans, and we'll talk to you next time.